0: We'll be, we're going to be finishing up our Advent series. We've been going through uh, the series on the, uh, the women of the genealogy of Jesus. We're finishing up uh, this Sunday speaking on Mary, uh, the final woman in the uh, genealogy. And we'll be looking at the account of Luke, uh, chapter 1, uh, verses 26 through 45. Uh, the text is in your worship guide, if you have it. Please uh, turn to your Bibles or your phones uh, to Luke one twenty six through45 and it's our custom to stand as we hear god 's word because God is speaking to us, uh, and I am just the reader. So please hear as we hear from Luke chapter one beginning at verse 26 in the sixth month of the an, uh, sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth You shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. Mary said to the angel, how will this be since I am a virgin? The angel answered her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. And the power of the Most High will overshadow you. For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. Blessed is she who believed there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks Thank be you. God. Amen. You may be seated. Let's pray. Father, as we have heard your word. And as you give me the words to say, I pray that your gospel would be clear, that our hearts would be encouraged in knowing your love and grace for us that you've shown in sending your son and him dying for us and bringing us to you. Moving us through your spirit, convict our hearts, but encourage us, we pray in the name of Jesus and for his sake, amen. Well, a few weeks ago my wife and i uh, saw the movie knives out uh, the premise of the film it's a murder mystery of sorts a man uh, by the name of harlan thornby is found dead in his home uh, what's suspected to be of suicide that's five like 30 seconds into the film so that's not a spoiler but an investigator is hired by someone in the family to see if there was any sort of foul play. Uh, Harlan was a very wealthy man. He was a successful novelist. He wrote uh, murder mystery novels and was very successful at it. He created this small empire from it. So an investigator is hired to figure out if there was anyone in the family that might have brought this about. And so as the family is uh, together, Harlan was... uh, uh, older man, so all his children are adults. They're fairly successful at their jobs. But as the story progresses, you see that everyone in the family is kind of out to get what's theirs. Because the question is, you know, Harlan has all of this wealth. Who's it going to go to? Where's the inheritance going to go? So everyone's trying to get what belongs or what they feel like belongs to them. Everyone's out for themselves. And no one... Respects or cares for each other, let alone their father who has just died. This family is just wrought with dysfunction. And in the middle of the story, actually, the main character centers on a young woman who, on a lot of accounts, is in stark contrast to the family. She has no uh, relationship uh, to the family. She is the nurse, or was the nurse of Harlan. That was her job which is now over because of his death not only is she not a blood relative but her mother is an immigrant you find out that she was uh, she came to this country illegally from latin america which is a secret no one knows about and she's young she has really nothing uh, to stand on as far as a career she's in the presence of all these wealthy successful white uh, people but Although all of that is true, she's the one who knows what really happened. She knows something that no one else does and that truth and reality can change not just her world and reality, but also the the reality of those around her and those she cares about. So she knows something that no one else does that's significant. She knows the truth. While everyone else is looking out for themselves. She's the one that knows what's really going on. I bring that up because here we see a woman thousands of years uh, from this, from today, who's young and a lot of accounts in stark contrast to the world and people around her. But she is given a gift and and a revelation of something that Not only changes her world but the the world of everyone of all creation she gets to partake and see what god is doing and going to do through her and what she's going to bring what god is going to bring through her but it comes in a time where it seemed like at least if you looked at the circumstances of the world that she lived in god wasn't going to come through on his promises that God had abandoned his people, that God was far from his people at this point in time, that God had forgotten about them. This came in a moment of darkness for God's people. You know, I think about us. You know, we're thousands of years removed from just this account, but we believe it. And not only do we believe it, but we put our trust and our hope in the truth of this reality that God has come to save us. We put our hope in that. We trust in that. And not only are we looking back and believing that and how God loves us now, but we're also looking ahead and know and believe that God is going to come and is going to establish His kingdom and we're going to be brought into a new world full of bliss and, and life and everlasting joy and peace. We believe that. We know that to be true. But when things happen in our life, we look at the world around us, we look at the the circumstances and difficulties and struggles that you and I experience from day to day, we begin to wonder and ask, is that really true? Is it really true? Did God really come to save me? And is God really going to come to save all of us from this world of pain and sickness and death? Is it really true? Does God really care for me? Now, we're going to see that regardless of what we may hear or feel, God has come through and will come through on His promises to save us and asks us to trust in Him as we wait for Him to do so. Regardless of what we may hear or feel, God has come through and will come through on His promises to save us and asks us to trust in him as we wait for him to do so. Three things we're going to be looking at in light of that. First is when we hear that God's not coming for us. What do we do when we hear that God's not coming? And then what do we do when when we hear God tell us that he is? And then the third thing is believing what God says over everything else so first is when we hear that god's not coming for us you know i love the christmas season i know we just finished uh, it christmas was on wednesday i'm well aware of that uh, but i love the season you know as soon as uh, the clock uh, struck midnight on uh, friday morning after thanksgiving all the decorations were out you know the lights that we got a tree christmas music the whole nine love it you know i know some of us here love it as well, but we need to remember the time in which Jesus came and the environment and the world that he came into was a dark one. Jesus came in a world that was full of darkness. He didn't come into a living room where there were people laughing and drinking hot cocoa and listening to Christmas music. He didn't come to Balboa Park where there's December nights and everyone's having a good time and eating good food. And. There's all these festivities. He came into a world that was wrought with darkness. Especially for those who were God's people and had been promised that he was going to come. Had promised that he was going to deliver them. They were living in darkness. There was political darkness. At this point in time, I mean, Israel had just been just subject to whatever political superpower was in the neighborhood, and at this point it was the Romans. The Romans had conquered uh, the region, including uh, Israel and Judea, and so they had placed over uh, to rule uh, God's people in Judea uh, King Herod, Herod the Great, who was nothing like the kings that God had originally placed, like David and Solomon. Herod was a power-hungry control freak, He was afraid of those who would overthrow his rule to the point that he would kill or have killed people that he felt were threatening him. Anyone who disagreed with him, anyone who threatened his rule, he would have killed. didn't matter if it was his sons, didn't matter if it was his mother-in-law, he would have them killed if he felt like they were threatening his authority. So here's a man who's supposed to lead God's people or would be expected to, but just out for his own power and control. I think what makes the matters worse for uh, God's people, as they are, have been promised a king, but the current king is in nowhere even in the ballpark of what they would expect or hope for a king, but also that God had been silent for 400 years. God hadn't spoken a word to his people for 400 years. Think about that, living and waiting in silence, not knowing when the hope of this Messiah is going to come. And there was still the darkness of sin and shame. People were practicing. They were still practicing the sacrificial system and waiting for the final sacrifice, the one who would come to pay and atone for their sins. So the people were living in darkness. But then there's Mary's own difficulty. We find Mary. Uh, She's a woman, a young woman, in a time when the world is not very kind to women. You know, women were seen as inferior. The Jewish historian, Josephus, uh, who was a historian in the first century, wrote that women were inferior in all matters and should be submissive. There's literature, there's there's Jewish literature. The Wisdom of uh, Sirach, which is an apocryphal book that was written uh, about 100 years prior to Jesus' coming, where it writes that better is the wickedness of a man than a woman who does good. It is a woman who brings disgrace. There were Jewish benedictions where men would thank God for not being a woman. Women were not allowed to speak in court. Because their testimony had no weight, their voice wasn't heard. This is the world that Mary, who was also poor, most likely, and very young. Women who were Jewish women who were betrothed into marriage were between the ages of thirteen and fifteen, usually. So scholars believe that Mary was probably thirteen. So she's a young woman living in a world that's harsh to her and she's from a nowhere town. Nazareth was nothing to boast of. No one really cared about Nazareth to the point when Jesus is establishing his ministry and Nathanael hears that there's this, this man who's claiming the Messiah who's from Nazareth, right out of his mouth he says, what could come from Nazareth? I mean, already we, we see that Nazareth was really just a nowhere town and that's where Mary is from. So She finds herself in a cruel world born into a people group that has been promised that God would come and deliver them, but from the looks of it, that was far from happening. That looked nowhere near reality. If anything, the Messiah isn't coming, and it's every man and woman for himself think about that because, friends, you and I are experiencing all kinds of, of difficulties. As we said before, we believe the gospel, we believe these things to be true. But when life hits, when the struggle gets hard, we start wondering and questioning, really, is it really true? We look around at our political environment, see all the corruption, no matter what side of the fence you stand on, that men, women put in place cannot deliver all the things that we need. Our kids are being murdered in schools and school shootings. We see the effects of systemic racism, not just in our culture, but in our church. The lines are being drawn where there may be consequences of being a Christian. It's no longer popular in our culture, in our world, to be a Christian. And we might be experiencing consequences in the near future for what we believe. But then there are our own personal struggles, our own personal difficulties. Maybe there's a problem in your marriage. There's words have been exchanged, there's been lies, there's been hurt, sins have been committed against each other, and you feel the tension and the pain. Your struggle with sin, you can't seem to resist. No matter how hard you try or pray, you seem to keep running back to it, and filled with shame and guilt and wondering, does God really care for me after doing that or thinking that or saying that? Does God really care and love and forgive me? Struggle with addiction, there's things that have been done in your past that still haunt you years afterwards, things that have been said and done to you that no one knows about, that still keep you up at night, still fill your mind with darkness and fear and shame and hurt. And maybe this season, as it is, a, you know, for, for a lot of us, a time of joy, of, of, of gladness, of, of fellowship and connection and all of that, maybe it's a season of loneliness for you, a season of pain because of loss, a season of trauma So we wonder if God cares for us. If he's there, if he does care, he doesn't seem to care for you. He cares for everyone else. If he is coming, he's coming for everyone else except me. Maybe he isn't coming. Maybe it is everyone for himself. What do we do when we ask the questions is God coming? Does God love me? And we hear the word no. What do we do? What's our response to that? Because all of us, at one point or another, are faced with those questions. What do we do? The temptation is to run after things where we feel like these, these will satisfy. These will answer those questions. This will give some sort of security, stability, safety, happiness, whatever, only to find out that they can't, they won't. And so the cycle continues. We still struggle with that question, where is the Lord? Is He going to come through? Does He care for me? That's what God's people were probably asking. It may have been what Mary was asking as she was raised in this culture and environment waiting for the Lord, but what happens when God tells us that He's coming? Because in the midst of all of this, in the midst of this darkness, God shows up, and He shows up to Mary. Of all people, think about it, God has been silent for 400 years, and one of the first people He shows up to is Mary first words, some of the first words that God gives after Zechariah is Mary. He shows up to a little or young 13 year old Jewish girl from a nowhere place of Nazareth. And what he does is he raises her dignity. He comes to her. He breaks through all the, the social stigma, all the shame, all the questions, and he comes to her and he says, favored one. He calls her Favored one. You have found favor with the Lord. He tells her that twice. God breaks through her reality and raises her up and calling her favored one. In doing this, she's toe to toe with the men of Scripture like Moses and Noah and Daniel, who were ones who were favored and loved by God. And in this introduction, and God coming to her and calling her favored one, he is raising her up. No matter what the world says of her, no matter what people say of her, no matter what her friends or whoever say of her, what God sees in her, she is is a favored one. She's been chosen by God for God to be gracious to her. It's not because of what she's done or how she looks, it's because of God's mercy to her. He breaks through her reality and calls her favored one. But not only that, he uses her as a major part, huge privilege of the story of redemption that God had planned and promised thousands and thousands of years before, even before time began. Now she is a member and a part of that story God had constantly continued to remind His people that He's coming, and a king is going to come from David's line. And Isaiah 714, He says, it'll be through a virgin. A virgin shall conceive and bear a son, shall call his name Emmanuel. And this text says that Mary was a virgin twice. It's, It's making us look back at that promise of God, that God Fulfilling his promise. What God is doing is he's showing up and saying, I haven't forgotten. I haven't forgotten my promise, oh favored one. And you are a part of that story. You are a part of that plan. And not only is, is she a favored one, but it's because of what God is going to do with her child, the son of God and the the work that he was going to complete in saving the people from their sins and also saving them from death and corruption and uh, the devil. You know, friends, God shows up to us. He breaks through the shame. He breaks through the darkness. He breaks through the fear and all the questions. And he calls us sons and daughters. He breaks into us and calls us daughters and sons. And he can do that because of what he's done and what he did through his son. And what God promises through Gabriel to Mary is the the promise of a deliverer, that Jesus, which means God saves, the one who would save his people from their sins. Is also the one who's the king, the the king who's come, who's finally come. You know, he's hearkening back to 2 Samuel 7 when a promise was made to David. This was over a thousand years before this. A promise was made to David that through his line a king would come, and it'd be a final king, it'd be an everlasting kingdom, one of peace, one of righteousness. And it's repeated throughout scripture of what God would do through this king, and what the king would do, the final king. Think of how this would have sounded. You know, a lot of kings came after that promise, a lot of tyrants, a lot of men who were just out to get what was theirs, a lot of men who had no regard for the Lord or His people, a lot of, a lot of men who brought His people through so much hardship and pain but now god is saying that's over with the real king the true king is here he's come and he's coming through you you are going to bear this king the high honor and privilege that god is giving to mary but the kingdom that will be Uh, establishes an everlasting kingdom no more pain no more hardship no more death no more sin there'll be an everlasting kingdom and this was also repeated throughout Scripture as God is promising his people continuing to remind them of this promise that he's coming to deliver them Isaiah 9 7 is of the increase of his government and the peace there will be no end and Ezekiel thirty-seven twenty-four through 28 says, My servant David shall come and be king over them, and they shall all have one shepherd. and They shall dwell in the land that I gave to my servant Jacob, where your fathers lived. They and their children and their children's children shall dwell there, there forever, and David, my servant, shall be their prince forever. I will make a covenant of peace with them, and they shall be an everlasting covenant with them. My dwelling place shall be with them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people." This is the promise that Gabriel is reminding Mary in verses 32 and 33 and talking about the king who would come and establish an everlasting kingdom. Now we know that most of the people that followed Jesus would misunderstand this promise that Jesus' rule first started in humility and in suffering, because what He was doing was establishing His rule over sin and death, that He had come to conquer the greatest enemy. It wasn't to conquer the Romans. It wasn't to conquer other uh, rulers and authorities. It was to conquer sin and death, and that's what He did. Jesus would come to suffer and, and die and conquer our sin take our death. And friends, this is the promise that God has made for us. This is the promise that God has made for you and for me. That as we are trusting in Jesus, God sees you as a daughter and a son, and He's going to come. It's not a maybe. It's not even a most likely. It is absolutely going to happen that Jesus is going to come and deliver you and take you from this world of sin and pain and death and tragedy and questions. And it's going to bring you into a world of bliss and life and joy, free from all of that, free from all of that sin and darkness. That that is true for you. And it's true whether you feel like it or not. That's the beautiful thing, that God was going to use Mary, even if she felt like it wasn't going to happen. God's going to bring this through for you and for me, whether we feel like it or not. This is a promise that is true for us. And while we wait, the, the beautiful thing that God does for Mary as she's struggling and she's, she's wondering about the details and is, has questions of what Gabriel is saying, that God is gracious, and He gives her a sign. He tells her that Elizabeth, who's also in a, in a case, in a situation where biologically, anyway, it's nearly impossible for her to conceive, but she has conceived that God has worked a miracle in her. He's doing that to assure her and give her that, that strength and God does the same for us by giving us things like the sacraments of, and the word to remind us that these are true, that he does care for us, that he does love us, that he is coming for us, that he hasn't forgotten about us. But then how do we respond? How do we respond to these these doubts and questions and fears that you and I have and feel even when we know these things to be true, we still are bombarded. As soon as we walk out those doors we're still bombarded with those questions and feelings. We look at our circumstances and wonder and question. We see and are encouraged by Mary's faith? Because how does she respond? She responds with one of the greatest acts of faith in Scripture. I mean, look at verse uh, 38. It says, Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. It's in full submission of what God would do. I'm the servant of the Lord. Do whatever you want through me. She's totally submitted herself to him. She's 13. She's a young, poor Jewish girl with probably very little theological or biblical training other than what she was raised in in her family. And it's contrasted even before this, there's an account with Zechariah, who's a priest, and an elderly one at that who's who's lived his life in the temple of offering sacrifices to the Lord and is waiting and supposed to be waiting for the final sacrifice and Messiah to come. And when Gabriel shows up to him and reveals to him that your wife is, is conceived and, and will bear a son, his response is, give me a sign. Give me something to work with. I mean, this this is… She is very, very old. This is very unlikely. I need more assurance. But that's not Mary's response. Mary's response, she, she has questions. How is this gonna happen? But she's, she's not showing these signs of, of doubt. She's just wanting more information. And in, in the end, she totally submits herself to the Lord. And friends, that's what God calls us to do as we face these questions, as we face these dark realities and difficulties, we're to trust in the promises that God has given us. That's what Mary had to do. All she had to go off of is what God had told her, what God had promised to her through Gabriel, and she does that. She holds to that. She trusts in that, and that's what God has called us to do. You know, and it's not the strength of your faith. It's not how great your faith is. Yes, Mary is showing great signs of of faith here. Mary was still a human being. She still had struggles. She was still a sinner. It's what she believed in. It's the promise that she was believing in that mattered. And that's what you and I do. We believe in these promises that yes, God does care for me. That yes, God has saved me through his son and he will save me that it's true. Even if everything is screaming, it's not. That this is true, that we have this to stand on, this promise to stand on. But what happens when it's hard to believe? Because frankly, it's, it's hard. Again, we're going to be bombarded. What's, what's beautiful about this story is even though Mary shows this great sign of faith, God doesn't leave her alone. God doesn't leave her alone to, to fend for herself and figure this out, this, this out. You know, think of her case and her situation. You know, some of you are recent mothers. My wife and I are recent parents. You know, for, for those of you who have been pregnant, even in the best circumstances, it's scary. You know, there's all these, these changes that are happening, and it's, it's painful, it's difficult, it's unknown. You know, think about her case and how young she is. And by the way, she's, she's conceived not by natural means. You know, so people are going to start doing the math in their heads, and you know, who's going to believe that story? And being caught or convicted with adultery was a death sentence. So it's an incredibly vulnerable time for her, but God doesn't leave her alone in that. He gives her someone to encourage and comfort and validate her and that's Elizabeth. She runs in haste to see Elizabeth because, one, God's told her that he has performed a work through Elizabeth. But also, if anyone's going to understand, if anyone's going to know what she's experiencing, it's Elizabeth. Elizabeth will understand or might understand. There's really nowhere else she can go. In other accounts, when Joseph finds out, he just thinks it was done through other means and tries to put her. Away. Even her own husband wouldn't believe her for a moment. But Elizabeth, God uses Elizabeth to validate his promise, to encourage Mary, because what does Elizabeth do? As soon as she arrives, she rejoices and reminds and and speaks God's word. She's moved with the Holy Spirit. The Lord uses her to encourage Mary. She's not worshiping her. We don't want to exalt Mary to a place where she's Beyond and, and an intercessor, like our neighbors, the Catholics, do. We don't. We, we reject that. We say that is that is wrong. But what she's doing is she's she's validating God's promise to Mary and how He's going to use Mary in this great story. You know, I think about a, an illustration that I'm going to steal from, from Tim Keller. He uses in Center Church. When two. Uh, World War II veterans meet each other, you know, years after the war having found out and, and knowing that they bo- have both experienced this, this great conflict, there's this bond that they don't experience with other people. There's immediately this understanding and awareness that they have, they have some kind of bond because of their experience, because of how, how difficult and tragic and hard and long and brutal that that war was on knowing that they both experience that there's a bond. You know, when I think about these two women. You know, think about it. It's, it's this beautiful scene because they're really the only ones who know what's really going on. They're the first people who really understand or have a glimpse of what God is doing. And they rejoice together. And they build, and, and, and Elizabeth builds up Mary and encourages her, which is why the only re- logical response from Mary would be to be burst in song and rejoicing for what the God has done and is doing in and through her and will do through Jesus the Messiah. You know, friends, and that's what God has done for us. God hasn't left us alone. God hasn't left us to fend for ourselves. He's given us the church. He reminds us every week of his promises. That's why we come here. That's why we partake of the sacraments. But he's also given us each other. He's given us each other, and you and I, like those World War II veterans, have an understanding and awareness of where we've come from, the sin that God has freed us from, but also where we're going. We know that this world is not all that it is. There is a better and more beautiful and perfect world that's coming for us that Jesus is gonna bring. You and I know that. We don't have that bond with people who don't understand or believe that. And so because of that, you and I can encourage and love each other. You know, that's why I feel like a broken record about why we do things like community groups, because we're trying to foster this sense of community and love and building up of one another. Because you and I need each other to remind us of the realities of God's promise that's for us when we can't see it ourselves. There's times where it's, it's so dark and cloudy and difficult where we just, we just can't see it. We need each other to remind us of these promises. We need each other to speak like Elizabeth spoke this word of promise to Mary and reminded her that this is true, that God is really working here that you and I can do the same for each other, that you and I can come alongside when we're in darkness and fear and show us this isn't it. There's something greater coming for us. You're a child of God and God has you. And maybe you're here and you've, you've been fighting and struggling. Maybe it's something that happened in your past. Maybe it's something you committed or said or did and you're trying to hide and put on a face and keep it together, but it's haunting you and it's eating away, and you haven't told anybody. Friends, God has given all of us here to help and encourage each other. Maybe if that's you, you can come speak to me, you can speak to my wife Anna, you can talk to Rob. You know, we're here to love and encourage each other and raise each other up with the gospel because that's what God has done through Jesus. It's what God has done for us, and that's the opportunity you and I have to do for one another. And maybe you're here and you don't believe. These things are all new to you. You realize you haven't put your faith and trust in Jesus. And if that's you, friends, there's nothing else that will save you. There's nothing else that's going to give you the hope and sustenance and peace and life that Jesus gives and only Jesus can give. So God is calling you to come to trust in Him, to trust in His promises and stop running after things that won't help or save you, but run to Jesus and put your trust in Him. So regardless of what we may hear and feel God has come through and will come through on his promises to save us and asks us to trust in him as we wait for him to do so. Amen. 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 Let's pray. Father, even though we, even after hearing this, words of doubt, and accusations and fears still ring in our head. That you don't care, you don't love us. You've forgotten about us. That you do. That your word tells us that you do. That you have come and saved us from our sins and from death. Lord, continue to remind us of these promises through your word through our church family, and continue to lift us up in the hope that we have in Jesus. And it's in his name we pray.